All right, everybody, welcome to the interview. Today we are joined by a very special guest, Dr. Maurice Lednecki. Brother, we are so grateful that you are giving us a little bit of your time today to speak to us. Thank you, sir. Happy to do so. Yes, sir. Would you do me a favor and open us up in prayer? Father of heaven, we are so happy that we belong to you, that by your grace we have been saved through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for an opportunity to visit with Pastor Daniel Day today, but also prayerfully that all of these comments will be beneficial to the kingdom, to those who are serving you, and will lift up your name. Bless it, every word that is said to the glory of God. In your name we pray, amen. Amen and amen. Well, for those of you who may not be familiar with Dr. Lednecki's ministry, allow me to introduce him. He has been an ordained Assemblies of God minister for nearly 60 years, 56 years to be exact. Um, he has done ministry on many continents and in many nations over the, these years. He's been married to his wonderful wife, Sister Lednecki, for almost 60 years. So that's the big that's the big testimony right there, wonderful years of ministry and marriage. And uh, how Dr. Lednecki and I uh, were connected is through our mutual friendships uh, as it relates to Central Bible College. As many of you know, uh, Dr. Lednecki was the president of Central Bible College from the years 1980 to 2001. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't arrive at CBC until 2003, so I didn't have the honor of being under your ministry. But we do have many mutual friends, and it is a great honor to be able to speak with you today. Would you do us a favor? Sure. Yes, sir. Would you do us a favor and tell us a little bit more about your family and what you're doing now? Well, uh, after we left uh, Central Bible College, for 17 years, we served with Assemblies of God World Missions. Uh, we traveled into many places, but we pastored the International Christian Assembly in Bangkok, Thailand for five years. We came home, uh, had some physical issues. We came home and now for the past 10 years, we have been working with Black Publishers, the Fire Bible, and uh, I have now written a dozen books, and uh, they have been kind to print those, promote them, and so that's where we are primarily serving now. Uh, we still travel internationally. We were in uh, Kenya, East Africa this year. We've been going there now for the last seven years where I teach for a month in one of their extension Bible schools. We were also in Vietnam, Thailand, Myanmar in the last 
here. So, so uh, how blessed we are to still be able to uh, serve the Lord um, for the sake of those who are listening. I've had four throat surgeries, so my voice is not as loud as it used to be. I tell people it's not in my voice, but it's still in my heart. Amen. Well, we are greatly honored to have some of your time. I know that you're preparing for a little journey today. So the fact that you've carved out a little bit of time for us is a great honor. And so we will honor that time and get right into the uh, subject for today. As you know, Dr. Lednecki, and in your many, many years of ministry, um, the year 2020 kind of stands apart as a very unique year to be in ministry. It's an unprecedented year with so many things converging at the same time. Political turmoil, social unrest, racial turmoil, rioting, so much misinformation, whether it be on news broadcast or social media, the pandemic, any number of these things could be um, tumultuous in and of themselves, but it feels like that 2020 is the perfect storm. And to be in ministry right now is uh, uncharted territory, as we say. You have been in the ministry for so many years and uh, speaking with people of your generation, so many of them have told me that they would agree that this year is very, very different from other years. So I'm looking to you today as a young minister wanting to learn, and I know many other young ministers are also listening in today. Would you please offer us some words of encouragement? What would you say to us right now who are in full-time ministry what words of encouragement or advice from God's word would you like to say to us today? The first word before we look at uh, some scripture is integrity and perseverance. Uh, this is not the time to be discouraged, despondent, or to quit. One of the things that uh, I have been trying to teach the last several years is for us to understand what I call the big picture, the progressive revelation of God's plan. And Adam and Eve did not know all of God's plan. Abraham did not know all of God's plan. Moses did not know all of God's plan, but all of that was bringing us to Jesus Christ. So that revelation of God was progressive. Now today, we're looking at the future, but we still do not know the full, complete revelation of God's plan. So it was counted to Abraham as being faithful, and so we must be today. So perseverance and integrity are words that I like to use frequently when talking to my colleagues in the Lord's service. Amen. 
Amen. And I really appreciate the fact that even though so many elements of our world have been shaken, uh, even the systems and programming of church world and the things that we used to rely on, even buildings, uh, programs, and, and systems that uh, seem to be firmly fixed in our church world have been shaken and turned upside down. There are still a few things that have remained the same. Our need to be upright and integrous has stayed the same. Our need to persevere in our calling has stayed the same. And ultimately, the scorecard has stayed the same. The people who get into heaven hear these words, well done, good, and faithful. Faithfulness is still the scorecard, even though our season is very tumultuous right now. God hasn't moved the goalpost. Uh, the goal is faithfulness in this season. So, Brother Lednick, right. take, take us to the scripture that you have on your heart today. Well, I would like to talk about uh, Elijah, and I have identified what I call four seasons of ministry. This text is from 1 Kings 17 through 19, those three chapters primarily. Now, you know, as a good CBC graduate, that for proper hermeneutics, context is always important. So let me give just a little background about Elijah before we look at these four seasons in his ministry. Elijah was one of the early named prophets. He and Elisha, he lived about a hundred years before Isaiah. Elijah nor Elisha wrote prophetic books, but I like to say that Elijah was a doer. He was a confronter. And uh, when looking back at the nation of Israel, three kings over all Israel, Saul, David, and Solomon, and then the kingdom was divided, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, northern kingdom, of course, 10 tribes, southern kingdom too. By the time that Elijah comes on the scene, we are seven kings into the northern kingdom. And that king is Ahab and his wife Jezebel. The Bible teaches us that they were wicked people and they led Israel away from God to idol worship the worship of Baal. So with that in mind, now God raised up Elijah, who's been compared to John the Baptist in the New Testament. And Elijah was what I call a confronter. He challenged his culture. Let me pause a moment and say, one of the lessons that I think is important for all of us is to know what to confront and what to leave alone. 
Sometimes if we confront, it makes it better. Sometimes if we confront, it makes it worse. So we need God-given wisdom to know what we should challenge in this particular season of time. Now, let me, from a personal perspective, say this. I think as ministers of the gospel, we have to be true to the word of God. And so if I confront evil, that is not being political. If I confront the evils of this day, let me use as just one illustration, and that is the tragedy of abortion in our culture today. Uh, 300,000 a year in the U.S. But from my perspective of scriptural understanding, abortion is a consequence of disobedience. We go back to fornication, adultery, those things that lead up to what people say is the desire for an abortion. So as a minister of the Word of God, I know that God has not changed his standard about morality. So as a preacher of the gospel, I should be willing to confront what the Bible confronts. And there may be other political issues that just stir up strife that I leave alone. But what is biblical, I should confront. Amen. Let me, let me chime in there. I think that line you just said answers the question I was about to ask, and that is, how do you know what to confront? And you answered the question before I could ask it. And I think that's a huge takeaway. Confront what the Bible confronts. Confront what the Bible confronts. And if, if we are looking for um, the signposts, so to speak, pointing us to what we should be confronting, we need to look no further than the black and white we find in the scriptures. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. If it says it's good, right. it's good. We toe that line, and no matter what circumstances right. that we're in, uh, one, uh, one thing that I learned at Central Bible College was be loud where the Bible is loud and where it's quiet, be right. quiet. Um, and so that goes right along with it. If the Bible confronts a particular thing, we should be willing to confront it. And as a matter of fact, God may have us in ministry right now for that very purpose. Yes, I, I think so. And I am very excited to hear the voices of young men and women like you who are willing to say, thus saith the Lord. And if we are preaching the full gospel, the whole counsel of God, rightly dividing the word of truth, we are not jumping on uh, hobby horse issues. We are maintaining our integrity and theological honesty with the Word of God. And I am delighted 
that there are young people today who are saying, hey, this is what the Bible says. That's my basis for truth. Amen. Please continue in your Four Seasons of Ministry lesson. Okay, let me just give a, a broad brush and then we'll come back to them individually. After Elijah had, and I say he was a confronter because he confronted the king and prophetically he said, there will be a drought and it will not rain until I say it rains. That's a pretty bold statement. I don't know that I've ever had the courage to say God's not going to do something until I say it. But Elijah did. And when that started, God, first of all, sent him to the brook Cherith. And I call this the season of protection. Now understand that the brook dried up, so we'll come back to this in a minute, but the drought not only affected Ahab and his cohorts, it affected other people as well, including the prophet. So after the brook dried up, God sent him to a widow down in Zarephath, and I call this the season of provision. Then when it was God's timing, God sent him to confront Ahab and the 450 prophets of Baal and the other 400, actually, according to scripture, there were 850 false prophets. And this was the season of power. Now, that's where we all like to be, is at the season of power. But then, after this great victory, Elijah was discouraged. That is a truth that we all need to recognize. Sometimes, after great victory, of striving in the spirit, we are emotionally uh, exhausted. And so I will give Elijah credit. He had, he had the good sense to know where he needed to go. And he went back to Mount Horeb and that season was the presence of God. So these four seasons, protection, provision, power, and presence. And we could come back to this first one of protection. It strikes me that God used birds to feed Elijah. And I was thinking about that. God has used animals on other occasions, a donkey to talk to Balaam the prophet, a fish with tax money in his mouth. So God will use what is necessary for our protection. And I still believe that is a powerful truth for us today. I should not live in fear. 
as we often hear it said, God's got this. And I need not be afraid. Uh, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. So I can live in peace. I can live in assurance because God will protect us. Amen. You know, I heard a preacher talking about this very thing, uh, and I thought the illustration was was good because a very wealthy non-believer had given a very large gift of money to their church, and he was receiving some criticism for that, that he had received a large amount of money as a gift to his ministry from a non-believer, and he pointed out to this season of protection that Elijah was in, and he said, you know, sometimes the Lord uses the crows to feed the prophet. And however the Lord brings his provision into, into the house of God, um, you know, however the Lord protects and provides for us, we shouldn't dictate to the Lord how he brings along the provision that we need. And um, we need to recognize that God very well may use people we don't agree with, politicians we don't agree with, leaders that we don't like. God can use anyone. I look back to other prophets such as uh, Daniel or other leaders like Nehemiah and Ezra who served during seasons of very, very pagan kings, but the word of God references them as his chosen vessels or his servants. And through these pagan kings, they wrote the check to build the wall, they wrote the check to rebuild the temple. Right. Um, you know, so God uh, brings what we need through any vessel he chooses. I, I think that we need to be careful as ministry leaders to not dictate to God how he answers our prayers. Amen. So take us through. Well, and when we move to Seraphath, Go ahead. When we moved to, when we moved to here was a woman, a widow, who was literally preparing what she thought was her last meal. Now, allow me a story. Back in the 60s, that's 1960, back, uh, way back, we were serving a small church in southern Arkansas. Our first pastorate, after having been evangelist for a few years, and it was in a paper, what we call a paper mill town. Georgia Pacific had their southern headquarters there. Our church was maybe about 100 people after a year or so, and suddenly Georgia Pacific decided they would move their headquarters to Alabama. Within about six weeks, that town was, was just virtually brought to nothing. And 
we lost more than half of our congregation because they were the supervisors who got transferred, but they were also the financial supporters of the church. So I did something I've never asked anybody else to do, would not, but I felt the Lord ask me to not take any salary whatsoever. By the way, that salary was $300 a month. So it was not, uh, we were not getting wealthy to be sure. But I would walk back and forth to the church to save gas for our 1962 Volkswagen Bug. And uh, one day on the way home, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I'm going to give you a certain sum of money. I got home, I said to Marcia, the Lord spoke to me, he's going to give us this amount of money. Well, uh, we all know that ladies are a little different in those aspects than men. She wanted to know who's going to give it to us, when is it coming, and the details. All I knew was bottom line, the Lord said, we're going to get it. In a few days, the chief of police of that town drove into our driveway. It all started singing, something good is going to happen to you when the police drive into your yard. So I ushered him into our small living room, and he said, Pastor, and he was a gruff evil man. I said he spoke in long sentences because he cursed every other word. I mean, he was a, he was a hard man. He said, seven years ago, I was in an accident. It's been in litigation, and I'm just getting the settlement. And he said, the Lord spoke to me. I almost fell out of my chair. I, I didn't think he knew who the Lord was, except in the curse word. And he pulled out an envelope and he said, he told me to pay the tithe off of my settlement check. And he gave me an envelope and inside was the exact amount that he, the Lord had said he was going to give to us. Now, let me translate that forward a little bit. Many years later, at CBC, we were looking at approximately a $15 million a year budget. I could rely on that few hundred dollar gift to say, Lord, if you provided then, you can provide now. So he is a faithful God who provides for us. Glory, glory to the Lord. Take us to the third season, the season of power. Well, this is where we all love to be, right? Elijah, directed by the Lord, goes to Mount Carmel. They build the altar. We all know the story. He poured 12 barrels of water that soaked the sacrifice, the wood, and there was water in the trench around that sacrifice. Now, he had warned the false prophets, put no fire under the altar. 
apparently the best sources tell us that that was part of their trickery that when they offered a sacrifice, they would build a fire and then do their incantations until the fire grew and burned the sacrifice. But Elijah wanted them to know that this was not man empowered, that this came from God. And when the fire fell, and consumed the sacrifice, the wood, and even licked up the water in the trench. The people fell on their face, and the King James says, they said, the Lord, he is the God. The implication was, he is the one and only God. So when God's power is manifest, even the hardest, most confused people recognize the power of God. That we must rely on today. I cannot do this. I don't know how, but God's power, the supernatural power of God, still ministers in the lives of his children and to his people. Amen. So as you were talking and you bring out the historical ways that the false prophets did their incantations, building a fire under it. Uh, and then they would, you know, go around the sacrifice long enough to let that fire begin to build. And then, then it would come up and uh, it would give the illusion of a fire springing up. Uh, but the fire that, that uh, was involved in Elijah's miracle didn't come from the ground. It came from the sky. Right. And uh, right. So we, we see uh, that that which comes up from the devil is fake. That which comes down from heaven is real. And maybe we could pause here just a moment and talk about the need for an outpouring from heaven of, this, of the Holy Spirit's fire in our lives to consume uh, our hearts once again. How important is it? that we do not, as ministers, try to manufacture a revival, but rather tarry long enough, tarry to wait upon the Lord and to seek God for the real thing that comes down from heaven. Uh, that you should mention that is significant to me yesterday. I posted on Facebook an article why Terry for the Spirit's power and gave seven biblical reasons why we should do that. But, and it is absolutely imperative that we as leaders depend upon the Spirit. Now, sometime back, the Lord showed me something. Uh, when there are genuine supernatural manifestations. If we are not careful, we begin to rely on that and it becomes a method that we employ to maintain what God has done. And if you follow it far enough, it becomes manipulation. 
uh, I'm old enough to where I can remember some of that happening. Supernatural manifestations, great, glorious, but that developed into a reputation that in the mind of that individual had to be maintained. So that became a method and ultimately it became manipulation. We must never do that. When I get to heaven, I don't need to worry about being rewarded for the supernatural. I didn't do it. So there is no reward for me. It is the spirit flowing through us that produces the power. And as a believer, spirit filled, he chooses to use me as he will for whatever occasion. I must be available at all times for the spirit to use me. Amen. Amen. So we're not looking for anything manufactured. We're not looking for anything that burns for a little while and then burns out. We need that everlasting, sincere and true fire of God to be at work in our lives for the power. Before we get into step number four and how he entered into the presence of God, um, I want you to talk a little bit more about this in-between stage of depression that the minister of God, Elijah, went through. Let me quote a scripture for you first. James chapter 5 and verse 17 shows us that Elijah, it says, was a man in like nature as we are. Right. And so he might have been a man of faith and power to command the heavens to rain or not rain or to call fire down, but he was also flesh and blood and he had moments of weakness like any of us do in ministry. So would you please offer a word of encouragement to that man or woman in ministry right now who might be in that stage? Maybe they had some victories at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, they thought this was gonna be the year 2020 vision, everything was gonna be great. And then wham, you know, we March happened and uh, everything got kind of tossed to the wind. Um, you know, we're all human. We all have moments where we're weak and we're, we're feeble and we, we have moments and bouts with depression and fear. What would you say to that minister who might be in that in-between stage? Well, in the, in the biblical accounts, you remember that Elijah waited till he saw the cloud the size of a man's hand, and then he ran down the mountain. But Jezebel, and I really believe that we are experiencing that spirit of Jezebel today. He ran down from the mountain and Jezebel said, I am going to do to you today what you did to those prophets. So Elijah went into the wilderness, sat down under a broom tree and said, God, let me die. I am no better than anyone else is. Now, I have concluded that we have 
three basic resources. We have physical resource, we have emotional resource, and we have spiritual resource. I have come to the conclusion that if the physical resource is depleted, in other words, if I am physically exhausted, if my emotional and spiritual resource are strong, I can make it. If my physical resource is strong, but emotionally I am exhausted, I can make it. But, and this is my conclusion, if my physical and emotional resource are both exhausted, it will affect my spiritual resource. That's where you get to that James passage. He was physically and emotionally spent. And he got to that place where it affected him spiritually. Now, that happens to all of us. Uh, we relish the great victory, but the letdown that sometimes happens is very real. And so Elijah, when he got to that point, uh, was again fed miraculously. And he went to that place where he knew the presence of God was. And in that moment, uh, when we are despondent, discouraged, our best hope is to go back to where we know the presence of God is. Now, uh, you remember, we all remember the story of the lightning, the fire, but God wasn't in that. But he was close enough to God to hear that still, small voice, that whisper. And the question that I should zero in on in my life, Elijah, what are you doing here? Not that you're in my presence, but what brought you to this place? It wasn't just a normal act of worship. Elijah, why are you here? God, I am the only one left. We've all felt that way too. Lord, I'm preaching and everybody else is going to hell in a handbag. You know, God, I'm the only one. And God said, I have 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Now, let me rush to one more point, then we can come back. God said to Elijah, I am not finished with you. And he gave him three future assignments. He didn't complete all of them because God's assignment is always bigger than us. It's not contingent upon us. But when we get into the presence of God, I will assure you that God will say, I am not finished with you yet. Do we have time for one more little story? Yes, sir. 
one more loose. Okay, we came home from Thailand because uh, I was, uh, I had cancer and so I had to come home for treatment. And I was going, I had 45 radiation treatments. Uh, in fact, uh, this week I finished 10 years ago. Praise God, I'm doing wonderfully well. But I was going every day for a radiation treatment. Well, in this room where we went, they had a big waiting room. And then a little room, probably maybe 10 by 10. There were six chairs and a TV. That's all. They called us in, waiting for our turn to go in. Well, there were three or four other men that I got to know. But this particular morning, I went in, and there was one other man in the room. I was sitting here. He was over here. I'd never seen him before. Didn't know who he was. So we're small talking. How many treatments have you had? Where are you? Da, da, da. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. In a minute, and I hope I can tell the story. In a minute, he got up and came and sat down in the chair next to me. And he said, brother, he didn't know who I was. I didn't know who he was. He said, brother, when the Holy Ghost comes on me, God shows me things. And he took my hand and began to prophesy. And he said, God is not finished with you. And went on to say, God has wonderful things in store for you. Then he prayed. He got up, went back to his seat. In a minute, he got up and he came over and he had a handful of $100 bills. And he said, God told me to give you this money today. And I'm saying, no, no, that's fine, you know. No, he said, it's God's money. I'm supposed to give it to you. He did. About that time, they called me for the treatment. When I came out, he was standing at the door. He said, brother, this is not my usual time to come. I don't know why I came today until now. I know that God sent me to speak to you. They called him to go in for his treatment. I walked out. To this day, I don't know his name. I've never seen him again. But sometimes the Lord says, what are you doing here? And he has a word to say, I'm not finished with you yet. There's more that I want you to do. Hallelujah. Amen. And I think that's a word for so many ministers right now wondering, you know, uh, why they were chosen by God to minister and to pastor and to be a missionary and to be a prophet and to be an apostle, to be a teacher, to be an evangelist. Uh, during this particular season, many of them, their schedules were erased, their their plans were uh, had to be thrown out, and they many of them, including myself, at times have questioned God, uh, why why am I uh, having to go through this? Are you finished with me? Or am I done? Is this over? Are the churches all going to have to close? And that word that you just shared, God is not done 
yet. That might be the big takeaway for someone listening right now. Let's, God, God's not let's take a look. Amen. Amen. And let's remember the words of Mordecai to Esther. Who knows? But that God has sent you to the kingdom for such an hour as this. God's plan. Back to the big picture. God is working his plan. No politician, no pandemic, nothing, nothing, nothing is going to prevent God's plan from being fulfilled. And I am blessed. You are blessed. We are blessed that God chose us. It's not punishment. It's privilege. Praise God. He allowed us to be his spokesperson in this very hour. Praise God for that. Amen. I'm getting excited. I'm getting excited listening to you talk. Amen. Uh, I would like to wrap up this. Amen. Uh, God's good. Amen. I'd like to wrap up this fourth season of ministry that you brought out about the presence of God. Earlier, you referenced it already, but I want you to talk about it a little bit more where he was not in the fire. He was not in the lightning. He was not in the earthquake. He was not in the wind. Even though all of those things in the past had been ways God had manifested his presence to other leaders. But in his situation, Elijah's situation, he used a still small voice. How important is it for us as ministers to be open to God manifesting his presence, be it through revival or through a new way of doing church? How important is it that we remain open to God doing a new thing in a new way You know, God used the earthquake and the lightning and the wind and all of that, you know, with other leaders. But with Elijah, he was using the still small voice. And so I get out of that, that God has a unique thing to do in our season and we need to perceive it. Could you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. And that's a very powerful point that you are stressing there. Uh, Let me go to something that, again, another life event. Back, way back, when I was a young evangelist, I was in a spiritual emphasis at a meeting at Southwestern in Texas. And one of the elder saints, he was probably, back then, I was your age, he was my age, so he was 50 years my senior. He called me and said, could I have lunch with you? And I have a question. So I went to meet him, and he said, explain to me what was meant by Peter's statement when he said, I will pour into my spirit and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. He said, I don't want to just sit in a rocking chair and remember how it was and complain about how it is. What was he saying? Well, I have no idea what I said, but I'm certain it was nothing of great significance. 
But now that I am there where he was, I asked the Lord that same question, and he pointed me to this scripture. The old man dreaming dreams is their experience. The young man with their visions is their energy. And what the church needs today is not generational separation, but we need the, the experience of the older and the energy of the younger. So I don't, I don't discount what God is doing today as an old man. I don't debunk what has been done as a young man. We desperately need experience to be linked with energy. And that brings me to another thing that I like to discuss, and that is preference versus principle. We often confuse those two things. I liked a certain style of music because it ministered to me. This generation likes another style because it ministered to them. But I don't say God can't be in that. Hopefully they don't say God wasn't in that. So it's not an either or, it's an and both. And here's the key. If you and this generation, my generation as well, if we are close enough to God to hear his voice, that's when he will guide us in the proper way. I don't do what pastor so-and-so is doing because it works in his church. That's not the way I find God's plan. I get close enough to hear what he's saying to me. And yes, 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 go for it. Do what God puts in your heart. Let your vision be the vision that God gives you. Don't apologize for it. Walk with God. Be, be men and women of God, true to his word. And God will do great things in this generation. So may it be. So help us, God. Amen. Brother, I can't think of a better way to end. I can't think of a better note to end on. I think these words that you have shared with us about integrity, perseverance, faithfulness, leaning into the protection of God, allowing the Lord to provide for us, calling down the power of the Lord and entering into the freshness of his presence. I think these words are timely for our generation. Brother, thank you so much for giving us some of your time. Would you please pray a prayer of blessing over the ministerium, would you pray for us who are in the full-time ministry right now that yes. we would truly have yes. that integrity and perseverance and faithfulness for this season? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I want to thank you for the privilege that you have given, first of all, to me to be one of your spokespersons. I have been so honored and blessed that you, according to your word, chose me. But I thank you also for this 
wonderful generation of men and women who stand week by week and fill the pulpits of the churches across this nation. God, will you anoint them with the power of your Holy Spirit. Let them be so empowered by your Spirit that their excitement and their enthusiasm and their vision will reach multitudes of people, bring about a great revival. Let it begin in local church after local church after local church. Let these men and women know your goodness and your power. Lord, let them be strengthened with might in the inner man. Let them rightly divide the word of truth. Let them stand strong in the power and the might of Almighty God, bringing glory and honor to your name. Lord, we believe it is happening. We believe it will continue to happen at an even greater dimension than ever before until Jesus comes. Bless them, use them, strengthen them, strengthen their companions, strengthen their children, strengthen the leaders who serve with them. And in all of this, may God and God alone be praised and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Wow. Amen. I feel so privileged to have had this time with you today. Thank you for the opportunity. You know, as I was thinking about all the things that you and your wife have been able to do over the last 60 years, I am so excited that I got to be the first one to interview you using a Zoom call. Amen. <laughs> today was your very first well, Zoom call. <laughs> there you go. I. Uh, I describe myself as technologically challenged. And uh, so I haven't been this far, but you've led me a new path today, and I appreciate that. See, you've taken an old man and brought him into the 21st century. Thank you, sir. <laughs> well, I appreciate you, and maybe you'll. Uh, give some other person the honor of speaking with you on Zoom now that you know how to use it. <laughs> All right. Well, I pray God God's bless. blessings. You have a great day. And you as well. I pray God's blessings on you and your travels, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you, sir. God bless. Amen.